Welcome to the MBUK podcast. In this series, we'll be looking back through some of the moments that helped shape the sport of mountain biking. From the pioneers that paved the way, bikes that broke the tech boundaries, and the events that pushed the very limits of the sport, to the racers who will be forever cemented in our memories for their antics on and off the track. We'll even do our best to predict how things will look in the future. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your mates. And if you have time, please give us a review. Here we go then, another MVUK podcast. I'm Rob Weaver, as always, joined by Tom Marvin. And today we have JCW, James Costley-White, editor of Mountain Biking UK magazine with us. The head honcho, the one who's in charge. Oh, yes, no less. The boss. <laughs> in charge of all the grammar. Gets his stick out if we misspell something. Get a whack. Absolutely. So, how is everyone doing? All good? All good, thank you. Yeah, g up for another podcast. Really good stuff. Right, I guess we'll just jump straight in. So today we're going to talk a bit about the events that have changed mountain biking. Some of the really significant things that have happened in the 40-odd years that the sport has existed and some of the different directions the sport's taken due to these things. I think we're going to start talking about Rampage because at this point while we're recording, it's finals day for 2023, isn't it? Yeah, and it's obviously... I mean, what can you say about Red Bull Rampage? It hasn't been said before. It's an absolutely mental event, a crazy event. I thought you just wanted to finish the podcast earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Needs another cup of tea. He's done. <laughs> um, and I think it's. I think the reason we're starting with it is because it's kind of guaranteed to go viral every year, isn't it? It's the, not this podcast, the Rampage, well, right? Well, yeah. never know. You know. <laughs> yeah, we never know. <laughs> but every year, I'll have some random mate who's not into bikes at all sending me a badly like copy clip of someone from rampage and saying have you seen this mate it's a have mental you heard, have you heard of this event it's mental yeah <laughs> and it's still you know it's been going 20 odd years and it still has the power to shock every year the lines get more ridiculous you know i mean it was pretty raw in at you know first year 2001 yeah it was very much you know kick a few lines in see what sticks if you can land and and the dirt's not too soft to flip you over the bars then the chances are you're going to do all right and it's, you know, it's judged by the rider's peers, isn't it? Yeah. So it's kind of, it, it's not your regular sort of standard race as such, you know, where it's very obvious who's the, who the winner is. Yeah. And that has pros and cons, I guess. You know, we've, we've got some very good British riders, Brendan Fairclough, G. Yeah. Atherton, who've taken part and maybe, well, I mean, G's done well. He's had two second places. Yeah, yeah. But Brendan... Brennan was robbed. He was. He's always, he's always robbed <laughs> in every single yeah. episode. He always, he always makes an amazing technical line, nails it, and then because he hasn't thrown in a couple of tricks. He hasn't the spun his bars around one yeah, degrees. The judges don't rate him as highly as, as some of the more BMX-style riders from the States, which is a shame. We're already sounding bitter about we this. Are. <laughs> oh, God. But, I mean, the, I guess the point is that when that event came about, there was nothing like it. We'd seen no. some free ride stuff in the past and people hucking off cliffs and and this was as formal i suppose as a free ride competition could be similar to how i suppose it works in the ski and snowboard world mm. and you know you've got this unruly hard to fathom mountain this terrain that no one really would ever go and ride on any other day no no. And now you're putting a bunch of riders on there with dig teams, scratching lines in, putting jumps in. I mean, 
Brennan's line this year is insane. It looks horrible. It yeah. looks absolutely disgusting. I wouldn't even, even if you took out the jumps, I wouldn't want to ride it. Mm. Proper ridgeline stuff at the top with some gaps in there onto sketchy landings and then into like what looks like the most terrifying gap ever. So it's, yeah, I mean, if you fall off on that first ridge, you might survive. Yeah. Which is kind of scary, right? Mm. If you fall into the gap, you might die. You might well die. You probably which will. Is, which is, hor- you know, we've worked loads with Brendan in the past. He's a good friend of the magazine. We never want to see anything bad like that happen to anyone. And it's just terrifying mm. how far it's gone. But, you know, these guys are the best in the world at what they do. But just seeing the level that it's at now, and, and you know, to your point earlier, James, it's no wonder people from outside of mountain biking are picking up on this stuff because it's insane. But it's a funny one also because it's so far from what most of us do on our bikes. You know what I mean? It's the public face of mountain biking, mm. but it's actually nothing like Completely most mountain biking. From it. Yeah. I mean, it's so extreme, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with it. I don't, oft, I, I don't watch it really I'll, I'll see the clips because you know it's it's all i mean it's it's kind of a inescapable social media it? these days isn't yeah. it really and like i you know i can't turn instagram off for the weekend of red of rampage but i i find it a little bit like it makes me cringe inside a bit that and to some extent because it feels like the riders you know they're, they're choosing to do it but they're choosing to do it because there's maybe some sort of inherent pressure to go and do those things because they've got got a livelihood right well they have to please the sponsors don't they and mm. for the free riders you know if you're not going to take part in rampage you're missing a massive chance of getting some exposure you're not going to turn down the invite no i mean it's slightly different i guess for the downhill i mean there's, there's fewer downhills taking part these days so I think yeah it's worth saying back in the early days you know you had gracia so gracia taking part you had carl straight when he was still more downhill focused well i mean carl's Gee. still doing it today yeah well exactly um, but he's but kind of made more he of was career, a race yeah yeah free um, side. glenn o'brien yeah Exactly. It was a fairly even split, I think, the first year without actually looking it up to check. I'm not quite sure. But and didn't I... Gracia win one year? Carl's obviously won. I think I said, he was certainly on the podium, wasn't he? Because Gracia he... did a backflip. I remember mm. that. Um, it, it in terms of scale, though. Oh, it's, it's so just much gone bigger now. Up and yeah. up and mm. up, and you know, it's no wonder it's become as iconic as yeah. it has. Yeah. What would you say are some of the most iconic moments of Rampage, though? I guess there's like there's massive backflips over gaps, that sort of thing. Um, Cam Zink did that Oakley sender, the backflip off that Oakley sender that time. Or was it a 360? Well, he's done both, hasn't he? Mm. I mean, I remember because um, Stickman, who was at Choyley Designs, uh, sent me a photo of the special helmet that they'd done Cam Zink, which had additional padding around the outside. What? Hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, that's what they're working with. They're, they're trying to protect them the best they can. Mm. But, I mean, it just goes to show how how incredibly dangerous it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Kelly McGarry's famous yeah. gap went massively viral. Over the canyon gap where yeah. he blew out both wheels when he landed. He went so big. Yeah. Andrew Laconda guy's run. Mm. Any of his runs. Yeah. 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 Um, Semenek obviously going to a single crown fork when they when Rockshocks introduced the Zeb. Yeah. And bringing in bar spins, tail whips, yeah. stuff that had never been done previously because it's all been done on a jaw crown mm-hmm. downhill orientated bike. Mm. And he comes in and, you know, that guy, it, it is like watching a computer game, mm-hmm. you know, when he rides. I guess Rampage has evolved quite a lot from from its start where it was, you know, downhill bikes, big hooks, who could land the biggest sort of drop or the biggest gap. 
and now it's turned into basically like the world's biggest slope style event like there's so much influence from the tricks from the almost the gymnastic capabilities of these guys and that seems to be what's winning at the moment yeah i think you're right i think i mean when it when rampage started there wasn't i don't think any kind of competition scene really in free ride it was just seen as something you did for video views um but kind of parallel to rampage you had the growth of slope style with events like um rebel joyride at the crankworks festivals and i think overall free ride has kind of over time veered more towards the tricks and stunts side and less you know, away from the massive hucks mm-hmm. and even the kind of backcountry stuff that was big a few years back in the films it seems like a lot of people have gone more towards tricks now yeah but it, i mean it's really cool to still see riders like brendan and G oh, absolutely yeah. heading out there and doing stuff which you know and that's the thing brendan's not exactly afraid of chucking a backflip over a gap mm. or no you know taking his feet off hands off legs off wherever you know over some massive massive jumps but still kind of coming at it almost like a racer. So yeah. the lines are technical. He's riding it fast. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's cooler to watch almost. I think it's it's a more exciting way to I mean, I guess I'm less about flippy whippy tricks and more about, you know, watching people go fast. So yeah. that's mm. the appeal for me. But I guess it kind of brings us nicely onto Crankworks, which started a few years after Rampage, I think around 2004. Yeah, so it's similar, you know, within a couple of years. But that was um that was a big move for for free ride as a sport, joyride, because it obviously took some of the kind of crazy stunts and put them in front of a massive audience at Whistler Bike Park. It wasn't just happening out in the Utah desert mm. somewhere, it was it was in front of people's faces. Like festival vibe almost. And yeah, it was a full festival. I can't remember what events they had to begin with, but I mean these days you have pump track you have downhill races speed and style speed and style you had the whip off whip offs yeah so many yeah and it really does encompass pretty much everything apart from cross country these days and it, it started in whistler didn't it but now it's yeah it, is it four locations around the world oh it varies doesn't it so it's rotorua in new zealand mm-hmm. cairns it, in australia cairns in australia it's been in innsbruck in austria it's been in leger in france les du Alp as well les du Alp, yeah I guess the the cool thing about that is it's a massive production, isn't it? Those guys, it's all they do. It's um it's you get the best races in the world, partly because there's so much prestige behind the competition, but also because they chuck in some serious prize money, mm. don't they? Yeah. I mean, if you win didn't Bernard win the King of Crankworks and I think yeah, he bagged like yeah. twenty five grand? Yeah, and the, I mean the crossover is brilliant, you know, in the early days mountain biking it wasn't, you wouldn't, didn't just do one race, did you? You'd yeah, race exactly. downhill and then do four cross the next day or you'd do cross country and do a bit of trials. Yeah. And I think Crankworks helps keep that alive. So you get, you know, in, enduro races like Martha Gill racing the dual slalom. You get downhillers, you know, having a go at the speed and style or whatever. And they broadcast it all live yeah. with commentary. Mm. It's a proper pro setup. Yeah. That um, obviously appeals to so many riders and racers, which is why it's, grown as it has yeah and i think the success of the slope style in particular kind of proved to the global mountain biking community that you could run an event like that in a kind of even in an urban area and make a success of it and i think you can draw a direct line from rebel joyride to you know most slope style competitions today like nine nights which isn't called nine nights anymore audi nines Audi nines yeah and um is that where they get nine audis to yeah. drive around really is that yeah, right yeah they have to jump the audis off the Ooh, jumps i, w- yeah. I went on a, I went on a <laughs> launch uh, which was sort of based around 
uh, or off the back of Aldi Nines. Uh, and we went and saw where they were doing it all. We didn't see the event because it was during the week and then the event was, I think, at the weekend. But we saw them practicing. We saw that it was like a big satellite dish thing that they were jumping in and out of. And the thing I remember most was because it was sponsored by Audi, uh, I had to get a flight home uh, and we were running late. And we got in an Audi Q9 or whatever it was, like the top end, super sporty, um, people carry, or, you know, like the big sort of SUV thing. Uh, and the guy was doing 240 kilometers an hour down the motorway <laughs> to get me to the airport nice. one time. That's my biggest memory of the Audi 9s. There you great. go. I mean, no wonder it's a success. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. We were getting uplifted in these like super poncy, like 100k vehicles. It was amazing. <laughs> and then you got, you know, you got District Ride in mm-hmm. Nuremberg, is it? Yeah. In, and you get enormous crowds, like the whole city comes out for that. What was the one that they did... The was it the Kashkai Red yeah, Bull? Yeah, Kashkai. Oh, I was going to say remember. challenge, but that was something else. That was a magic. Yeah, that feature. was different. They, but they did it in London, right? Yeah, they did it in a few sort of urban locations in the UK yeah. and Europe. Again, you kind of got this dichotomy between slope style being the public image of the sport, the people in the German city, but it not being what most riders actually mm. do. And that was true for I mean, like on the UK, a smaller scale. Uh, you know, the Rock and Roll Tour and Martin Ashton's Tour, you know, yep. they were mixing trials riding with dirt jumping. It was brilliant for getting mountain biking out into cities, even though it wasn't the type of riding we generally do. Yeah. If we're talking about um, Crown Works being sort of this festival of mountain biking with loads of different events going on and, you know, big names coming along, it'd be remiss of us to ignore the Mulvans, the Mulvans Classic, which, you know, heavily sort of associated with MBUK. Um, we don't want to blow our own trumpet too much, but I think we've been involved a little bit. We should. Um, but also, you know, like an event that was around sort of in, in the heyday of British mountain biking in the, in the 90s. Yeah, I uh, think it even started in the late 80s. Yeah, and then has sort of come back and, and has been reinvigorated in 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 more recent years. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that was another one of those events where the cross country was the big thing with the mm. bomb hole and everything. But a lot of the cross country guys would then take part in the you know, the lake jumping or whatever yeah. else was going on at the same time. You it was see, a lot um, of fun. It used to be ace. Yeah, yeah, it used to be wicked. Yeah. And I think that you know, that I think we can give a shout out to similar UK events like the Ard Rock Festival. Yeah, and some of the certainly. A few years back, uh, like Mountain Mayhem and stuff mm. like that, you know. What was the one of Cheddar? Cheddar Challenge? Cheddar Challenge, Cheddar yeah. Challenge. Oh, I heard yeah. some stories about that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that actually became like a national downhill event. And mm. if you ever go there and think about taking a downhill bike, don't. <laughs> Just a hint. <laughs> Just a yeah. hint. There isn't much of a hill. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a mound uh-huh. into some woods followed by, what do they call it? It was it like remember. I never Devil's raced there. But I did something like watch that. my mates there. Yeah, Devil's Drop was just a steep slope. Mm, yeah, steep slope into a turn. Mm-hmm. It wasn't dangerous, right? Yeah, choice bike for Cheddar Challenge. Hardtail, probably. It's <laughs> 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 like <a> cross bike. <laughs> well, that that brings us quite nicely to downhill racing, I guess, which wow. we probably need to yeah, talk I mean, about in terms of well, sh- racing in general. Yeah, becoming you know uh, the first UCI championship was back in 1990 yeah 1990 in durango so it's mm. cross country and downhill who um, won oh gosh oh you only know that because i've oh. written it down <laughs> <laughs> i've got my notes open i think the women's was won by cindy divine oh yeah where's she yeah. from uh yeah that one uh, <laughs> america or canada canada, canada. Oh, oh, yeah. well north america i didn't say it's oh. but then in the XC, who goes by continent <laughs> <laughs> in the XC though some legit you know like again Ned Overend massive mm-hmm. influential 
and Julia Furtado, who, you know, Furtado, a, a huge, iconic yeah, yeah. female mountain biker. Yeah. Overend is cool as well. Yeah. I, I've done some riding with him. Uh -huh. He's an absolute beast. Yeah. He, we did a, we did a press camp that coincided with some, uh, like a dirt crit race okay. thing. And he was racing in the pro category in mm -hmm. his 60s. And I still think he ended up on the podium. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You imagine that? I'll be lucky to be walking, I reckon. This is a cool thing about a lot of those, mm -hmm. you know, men and women from the early days. They were real, like, true athletes in terms of they did a, they did a bit of everything. You know, there's, you know, road racing, mountain biking, downhill, cross country. They just did it all. Tomac being Tomac. arguably the, like the iconic yeah. name that yeah. stands out who competed for a for a fully professional road racing mm. team. I think he might have even competed at the Olympics in 88. Yeah. I could be wrong when he was running for 7-Eleven. And again, it's also part of the reason why he used drop bars, right? Well, yeah. I because mean, he was he, he was sick of crossing over to something so different. Yeah. Um, so he had his, his drop bars on his mountain bike at the time. Well, and also because a lot of it was fire road downhill. It's true. Where, yes, where touching was quite a big yeah. advantage. Well, it's gravel riding. <laughs> yeah. But then he, he meddled in both disciplines. Yeah. Yeah. The same year. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of, you know, you imagine that now. Peacock. Yeah, but Peacock ain't going to go and get on a downhill bike. And no, he's not going to get a downhill no. bike, no. He's he'd, not... he'd like to. But then, you know, Steve Pete started off riding cross-country. Yeah. And a lot of these, you know, back in the day, you know, it's worth saying, I think in 1990, cross-country was king. You know, yeah. There, there was a downhill race there, but the focus was more on cross-country. And it was for a good few years. Yeah, it wasn't really until you had the kind of big characters emerge in the mid-90s. You know, your, your missies and your... Um, can't think of anyone's names now. Um, Lee Donovan. Yeah, Lee, Lee Donovan and in the Miles UK, PT and Warner. And yeah. yeah, it wasn't really the they started having big success and proper downhill bikes started being made. Yeah, the totally. downhill became slightly more dominant. I mean, if you speak to governing bodies, you'd probably still say that XC was the... Well, I mean, there's no argument saying that cross countries had a real comeback in recent years, mm. isn't there? And obviously, I think we look at it from a very like... UK, UK Anglophone centric, absolutely. Point, where yeah. maybe downhill is dominant, but I think if you go to the continent, oh yeah, yeah, know, Spain, Italy, France, XC is like. And I think in the culture in the UK wasn't as XC focused, so the young kids didn't necessarily get into XC early on and start training and become champions. So we didn't really have a lot of success in XC. You know, we had a, a blip in the early nineties mm -hmm. when we had some really good guys, mm. and then really until you know, the last five years with Tom Peacock and Evie Richards, we, yeah. we never had major success. In and I think that's going to continue Charlie Ulrich as well. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. rider? Yes. Did you see the photo? There's a photo from, I think it was Leger, of him just coming out of a berm. Doing this Where he's big turned out. Oh my God. It's yeah. One of the best exy photos I've ever seen. I actually <laughs> sent that to someone because someone was, um, someone I'm not going to name was slagging off XC rider style. Yeah. Saying that you know all the whips are dead stiff and awkward, and then I was like, "You need to check this photo out. Yeah. It's yeah. so good." So I screenshotted, sent it to him. He's like, "Fair enough." Yeah. But also, if you've got a seat post, you know, a foot of seat post showing, there's going to be a certain <laughs> amount of stiffness to your jumping that you can't. Avoid. A meter rule borrowed from the school. Lab. Yeah. And I know droppers are coming in these days, but still, you know, there's a reason why cross country riders have looked stiff in the past. Yeah, hundred percent. I guess that brings us nicely onto uh, the whole Olympic thing, and. Similar, I suppose, to how Rampage is held up in the public eye and is widely recognised and you see, you know, clips of, you know, riders on the news and stuff like that going crazy, chucking themselves off cliffs. Equally, you know, with the size of the Olympics, the crowds, the, you know, the, the viewing figures and stuff and the money behind it, now we're seeing more success. You know, we've got a lot to be thankful for. The fact that in 96, the Olympic federation decided that 
mountain biking was worthy enough to stick mm. in um yeah i mean they kind of, kind of legitimized the sport didn't they until then it was in this sort of hinterland where it's first of all seen as a sort of newfangled thing and then mm. it was kind of in group with extreme sports which obviously elements of it fit with but elements don't so for the olympic committee to to integrate it was mm. a, a sign that mountain biking was properly pro properly on the map i guess i mean even these days it's still like the xc that is in the olympics and you know downhill is largely ignored obviously trials is ignored as well we have the world champs which do all that but if you look you know i guess there's a, a feeling that the olympics ignored the more extreme elements of cycling but these days you know in bmx is is actually you know it's in the olympic program mm -hmm. and so surfing it would be really you know i sort of feel it'd be really cool to see downhill brought into that and you know there's been chat of you know even cyclocross being brought into the winter Olympics. well i think the argument in the past was that the technology was too varied like it, you couldn't have a fair race because some riders had a massive technological advantage uh -huh. but actually now bike design has reached the point where the bikes perform so similarly mm. in, in the grand scheme of things that you probably could have it as an olympic sport with no real issues they i remember when it actually was put in and that there was um petitions at some of the races to try and get downhill in mm. and one of the things that we would get told was that they can't obviously guarantee a venue right because yeah. you need you, you know need a if, big hill with a, yeah. right yeah. so if you were to have the london olympics the downhill would still need to be in fort william yeah well i mean you could to... argue the same that the sailing's down on the south coast somewhere yeah down in weymouth yeah exactly well so... there's a simple solution there you just have it to the winter olympics and have it on snow oh. I'm, I'm obviously being oh. <laughs> it's a segue <laughs> i'm obviously being facetious here in order to get a good segue but it does bring us on to the uh, notorious appearance of mountain biking at the Winter X Games in the late 90s. God, yeah. did you ever see that? No, too young for that. So they couldn't include it in the X Games because it was normally held somewhere like LA. Right. So it was all skating and BMXing and stuff on ramps. So they thought, oh, you know, we could. We, the Winter X Games are on the big mountain. Let's yeah. put mountain biking there. Forgetting that there weren't really any, you know, snow tires back then. Nobody rode on snow. There was were no it, fat bikes. Was it terrible? It was terrible, yeah. It made mountain biking look rubbish. Yeah, when the yeah, yeah. snow was soft and they're going really slow, yes, mm -hmm. it looks shit. Okay. <laughs> should we should we move on from the Winter X Games but stay with big mountains and snow and talk about things like the Maxi Avalanche for the Mega Avalanche, all yeah. these sort of things? Because well, those really are iconic races. As we're on the MUK podcast, I should probably tell you the story. At one point, when I started out as a freelancer, Tim Manley sent me to Val d'Isere in the winter. Mm hmm to do bikes versus skiers. So this is exactly why <laughs> the Winter X Games failed, mm. encapsulated in a feature. Of course the skiers were better. <laughs> <laughs> we, I was riding for, uh, we, were, we were sponsored by Saracen and they gave us a bunch of bikes. There's, I think three of us went out. It was a, me, a trials rider and a dirt jumper. We drove down there. We had probably too much fun in the bar mm -hmm. and then we went out and met the guys who were, I mean, Red Bull was quite new on the scene at that point. These guys were already sponsored by Red Bull. We go to like, a, you know, like the board park, the jump park on bikes. Mm -hmm. And they're obviously, you know, sending like the 50 foot jumps and we're kind of rolling it. Oh, it was embarrassing, genuinely embarrassing. <laughs> the only thing that went in our favor was that the skiers couldn't come on day one. And there was one thing that we, I was like, oh, we could try doing this. Uh, and we dug in a line off of an avalanche barrier that went over a road. Right. And there's a photo of me that made it onto the front page of the Metro. <laughs> 
absolutely big time. <laughs> falling to my to my demise. We had to get everything we could out of the van. The snow was so soft. We were trying to pack in this takeoff, mm. and I would wobble down. And it was. I think I only made. I think I only tried it once, and it is me being ejected from a bike and landing in like a, a I don't know, like a ten foot snowdrift <laughs> down the side. Uh, there was a coachload of people pulled up to watch, and then the police heard, and then we got kicked out. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, yeah, it yeah. goes to show there's a good reason why that yeah. we don't race on snow very much. Exactly. Yeah. So in, in the early nineties, well, no, early two thousand, I guess you got the situation where the face of mountain biking is. Yeah, people sliding around in the snow. Oh my god! People hucking off cliffs. People in full lycra going around a field. People in body armor and full faces going downhill. So none of it really represented what most of us do every ride. Exactly. So there was definitely a, a, a gap there, wasn't there, for a new discipline to emerge. And what was that discipline, James? Well. Well. <laughs> king of the segues. Yeah. Great. I'll feel my Should game here. More often. Yeah. Uh, enduro, obviously. What would have been great if, is he, if, if he came in on a segway? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> sorry. So enduro. So <laughs> I guess it's difficult to kind of name one in, one specific event, but you obviously had the Meg Avalanche. Yeah. In France, you had the Trans Provence, completely different events, mm. but still sharing some similarities. Yeah. You had EWS. Oh, the, yeah, later the EWS, now the EDR. Mm. Super enduro. So, yeah, yeah, super enduro. You had it different races in Italy, different races in France. You had stuff like the Kona mashup in the UK. Uh, yeah. But they all shared one, well, they, yeah, they all shared one thing, which was the bikes were kind of all-rounders. They weren't full-on downhill bikes with dual crown forks. They weren't lightweight cross-country bikes. They were everyday, you know, what we would call trail or enduro bikes, weren't they? Mm. And finally, people were racing a bike anyone could buy. Mm-hmm. in gear that didn't look too outlandish and too off-putting to beginners mm-hmm. but still now that sort of you know we talked about the you know the the popularity of things like rampage with the general public being really shareable you know the pictures of mass starts going down a glacier in in you know the meg avalanche is still something that gets shared by non-cyclists because it's it's pretty wild looking yeah and the meg is a funny one because it is essentially a downhill race for the first 20 odd minutes and then it becomes an enduro once you get to the first climb mm-hmm. so the i guess the bikes are maybe slightly more downhill focused for that as tends to be in well i guess enduro generally is in full face helmets these days it wasn't always but it would have been i mean the mega has been bit around for so long hasn't it yeah it started in the late 90s i think yeah and it was there you'd probably see early adopters of dropper seat posts and stuff like yeah that because because it does have that horrible climb yeah once you get out and it's onto a you kind of come off the rugged bit of the mountain, you climb up a road, and then you drop into the trees, which is maybe a bit easier going, but it's actually not because you cooked from having done a climb and ridden down yeah. a snowy mountain. So yeah. you wouldn't want to... <clears throat> I mean, I've made the mistake of riding on a downhill bike. Not the actual race, but I've ridden the track on a downhill what, bike. When was that? Oh, 10 years ago or so. Ooh. And yeah, it was nice for the first 20 minutes, and then pretty, <laughs> pretty horrendous <laughs> for the next 20 minutes. Have you but, raced it? I have, and and speaking of viral, everyone needs to search Jimmer's clip on YouTube oh, yeah. of where a small man from the West Country runs over some poor guys, <laughs> some poor French guy's legs, <laughs> both his legs, shouting at him while he's doing it. It's it's uh, it's pretty special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went, we went, twenty eleven, mm-hmm. but we made the mistake of trying to fit too much in because it was a work trip. 
we were still on deadline. We were on deadline for the maybe the Wednesday or the Thursday. We drove out overnight. We missed all the practice. Mm -hmm. I think we got there. We rode maybe half the qualifying track. That's uh -huh. all we had time for. Then we qualified. Then we did qualifying. Everyone crashed, crashed their brains out. And then, yeah, straight in, riding the, the whole thing blind mm -hmm. with 500 people around you. Yeah. Genuinely That's terrifying. That's a mad Eurotechno at six in the morning, whatever it is. <laughs> so back in the day when my mates had been before, they were like, oh, yeah, it's um, they play ACDC. And so I was like, oh, amazing. I love ACDC. And then, yeah, it's some crazy uh, <laughs> some crazy Eurotechno with a helicopter going around. Never been so nervous in my life. <laughs> and having no idea how, oh, back to the snow again, how to ride, like, is it is it soft? Is it hard enough that you can pedal off the start? Mm. Or And then you're looking around and everyone's not even on their bike. And I'm the only idiot <laughs> on a bike. And I go to pedal, flip over the bars. You're like, that's why. Okay, I suck at this. <laughs> it's one of the most stressful experiences of my life. Yeah. But fun, genuinely fun, mm -hmm. but bloody hard. Yeah, it's one of those races that hasn't made it onto my bucket list. Would you do it? I don't, I don't know. I, like, I don't know if I would. I don't know. It's the sort of thing that maybe I should, but I just... I think you'd be good at it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's never, it's never really jumped out and appealed. Unlike, and here's my great oh, segue, nice. hey, multi-day enduros like the Trans-Provence, mm. Trans, Trans-Madeira. Like, so these are like... Stoking Rally? Stoking Rally. These are big races that cross almost only like it almost harks back to the early days of proper enduro where you did a massive day out these days it feels in my opinion enduro's got a bit soft it's all uplifted you don't really do big days but these are like <laughs> multi-day four or five days at a time 16 17 1800 meter climbing days and then descents on just ridiculously rugged almost half unridden tracks that you've never seen before and like you see the clips you know the people who are winning these they are going so fast so fast down this stuff that they've never seen before. It's I'm all like, blind, yeah. It blows my mind. And I think the likes of the people who run, you know, the, the Trans-Provence, which has obviously been superseded by a couple of other races, you know, like the Stone King and also Trans-Madeira, they've really sort of honed in on, A, having an event that is open to the general riding public, but has the pros who really do get involved. And it's become like a real social media sort of media storm of incredible clips in incredible places with incredible riding. And it's, again, like we say about Rampage, where people are going to sort of make sure their profile is still up there. There's still a lot of that going on with these races, I think. And they they look proper cool. But I think for those, it's that sort of... You're taking away a lot of the restrictions that a regular race mm. puts on things and you're adding an element of adventure. Yeah. Mm. And it's a really good leveler as well because... Um, as we've spoke about in the previous podcast, there is that there is that fact that you are you can go and sign up, and if you're lucky enough to get an entry for say like the Stone King, mm. you're sleeping in the same little tents yeah. next to an you know an EDR professional yeah. full time rider or you know a former professional downhill racer. Mm. It's it's the same for everyone. You eat at the same tables. You, you know it's it's that. It's that sort of rolling circus. Every day is different. Every day you're doing some kind of different adventure. It's a certain element that makes that day hard, whether that's the climbing, whether it's the weather, whether it's just the tracks are mm. so brutal. And it is so cool. You know, like the Stone King, you get like a, you can just get a route card at mm -hmm. the start of every day or maybe the night before. Then the GPX files, you can download it the night before or that morning. So yeah, 
completely clueless of what's yeah. coming up. You may have just seen a few stats and then it's just kind of down to you to manage mm. your day. Yeah. And you have, you know, those time stages. And like you said, some people are, you know, the real racers will go out there and they will ride as fast as they would ride an, an EWS, an EDR stage. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's insane to watch, but it's incredible. It's such a cool thing to do. Yeah. And I, and I would love to do more. You know, I, mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to do the first Stone King and it's probably the best experience I've had on a bike. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love, you know, Trans Madeira. That sounds incredible. It looks cool. Like I think the Trans Madeira is one that's always stood out to me because Madeira is such this wild little island in the middle of the Atlantic with, you know, weather that's so changeable. The island's got, you know, four or five different sectors that are all different and you just do the whole thing and they've built to be fair to the, you know, the free ride Madeira and, and those who are associated with the race as well, they've built such this like iconic event. Mm, yeah. It's properly cool. I think it's it's worth also giving a shout to the kind of the grassroots side of the sport because it's easy to focus on the World Cup yeah, and course. all the rest of it. But for a lot of mountain bikers, the first experience you have of racing is just, you know, some local XC race mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, I mean, certainly, yeah, I, I did local XC races. I did the student champs. Student champs. Cross country bucks. and downhill. I think came last pretty much in the downhill. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, it's, you know, it's events like those and it's events like the PS series, downhill races, mm -hmm. the uh, mini, mini DH and FOD, mini DH and Enduro, the North Northumbria and the Ard Rock. You know, these are these are a lot of people's first taste of of racing, sometimes even mountain biking. You mm -hmm. know, a lot of people rope their mates into these things who've never really ridden before and it gets them hooked. And then and, and the likes of Tracy Mosley, who puts on events at her farm. Yeah. Which is incredible and yeah. goes to show, you know, why she is, you know, held in such high acclaim. Yeah. And then over in the US, you have the the school and the, the high school and the college leagues. Yeah, which is amazing. It's a shame we can't have anything like that over here. Exactly. And it, and it, again, in France, they have way more, you know, depending on the region you live in. But if you go down some of the schools around Nice, those guys are out in the hills, in the mountains all the time mm. as part of their education. Yeah. It gets them out there. And, and you know, without that stuff, none of it really matters does it none of if you don't have that grassroots those feeder series the likes of chris roberts in the uk pushing people towards four cross downhill enduro through his smaller series and that's that's a good thing also about things like the Mulvans and the fort william world yep. cup is that yes you've got a lot of hardcore mountain bikers there but you've also got locals who just pop by because they've heard the music blaring out and yeah. want to see what's going on you know fort william they they bus school kids in don't they to watch it mm. which uh, is incredible which is incredible yeah yeah Cool. Right. Well, I guess that kind of wraps us up. Um, cheers, guys. Thank you. And we'll be back for another MBUK podcast very soon. Bye.